This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. You guys excited about studying God's Word together? Turn to Psalm 67. Turn to Psalm 67 as we come to the final message in our Spiritual Disciplines Sermon Series. Hope that you've been encouraged this fall as we've made our way through several of these key spiritual disciplines that we should pursue not only individually in our own lives, but also corporately together as the body of Christ. And we finish today with the discipline of mission. Or you may want to say the discipline of missions. And this is more than simple evangelism. We focused on that uh, several weeks ago. This is the discipline of casting our mind towards the nations. Casting our mind towards the nations, leveraging our resources for the sake of the salvation of people groups all over the globe, leveraging our church, our gifts, our prayers. We're going to talk about all of that today as we open God's Word together In Psalm 67, it's a very short psalm, but it's one of those psalms that I believe in all of Scripture really encapsulates God's heart for the nations. And so we're going to start this morning by reading Psalm 67 together. I'll read out loud. You follow in your text or on the screens behind me. And then we're going to see how God might challenge our lives today to be a part of his mission. Here's what the psalmist writes. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Perhaps you're here today and you've been a part of the church for a long time. And you've heard a lot of messages about the mission of God. You've heard a lot of testimonies from global missionaries from all over the world. But God has not connected your heart personally to his mission personally. There are others of you in the room who are brand new to your faith. And even hearing about the nations or your involvement in being a part of the nations coming to know Jesus seems like a very far removed principle for you in your life. But I want to encourage us this morning, regardless of where we're coming from, to lean into the scriptures this morning and allow the scriptures to speak to you because you never know what God would spark in your heart today. I think about the famous William Carey. William Carey was a Christian who lived a few hundred years ago. And William Carey was a cobbler. And he was a coppersmith. And he had heard an evangelistic sermon And had read some literature on God's work among the nations. And this was new to Carrie. 
And what he would do is he would take that newfound knowledge, that new epiphany that he had heard and learned, and he would take it to work with him. And while he would work on shoes or while he would hammer the copper, what he actually did is he made for himself a world global map out of copper. And he hung it on the wall. And while he would work throughout the day, he would look at that globe. And he would look at the countries etched out on those, on those continents. And he would pray for the salvation among the nations. Or ministers around him who saw this young guy's zeal. He was only a college student. And they saw it and they would murmur under their breath. And they would say, young men, sit down. When God chooses to win the heathen, he will do it without your help or ours. But Carrie would not be deterred. Carrie would continue to pray. And he would continue to learn. He would continue to educate himself about what God was doing among the nations, even without a lot of newspapers or encyclopedias or access to the internet like we have today. And what God would end up doing in Carrie's life is he would birth such a passion for the mission of God inside of him. He would go on to write a very foundational and formative book for the Christian library on God's work among the nations. He and a group of friends would form a tiny missions agency, and he would go on to travel to India, where he would spend his entire, he spent his entire life preaching the gospel, planting churches, and translating the scriptures into 40 different languages and dialects for the sake of the gospel. And it was his passion, that little passion that sparked in hearing a message similar to what you're going to hear today, that God would transform the lives of hundreds, thousands, and who knows how many people around the globe have heard the gospel because of what God did in William Carey's life. Today, if you take a missiology course in seminary, one of the first things that you're going to learn in that missiology course is that William Carey is known as the father of the modern missions movement. It's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate in spending my life among college students. It's because I believe that among students and young adults, there is a passion and a zeal that some of us who are a little bit older just simply lack or is burned out in our lives. And it is a passion of mine to present the gospel and to present the mission of God among the next generation to let you know that you have a place in God's global mission and I wonder if the zeal of William Carey and the zeal of students like the ones we're going to commission out today would spark in those of us who are 30 or 40 or even 60 or 80 in this room to be more zealous for the glory of God and more particularly more zealous for the glory of God among the nations. And so this morning, I want you to hear the heartbeat of God from Psalm 67. And I'm going to share with you four what I believe to be life-altering truths that would bend us towards the mission of God. And after looking at these four life-altering truths, when our life is altered towards a bent, towards the mission of God, I believe that that would cause us to cultivate more of a discipline in the mission of God. And I'm going to give you four specific ways that every person in this room can be a part of in some shape, form, or fashion. Here's the first life-altering truth that we need to recognize this morning, and it may be the simplest, but we need to be reminded of it. And it's simply this. 
Our God is a global God, and we are a global people. As Christians, we do not worship the American God. We are not seeking to attach the Chinese to the Chinese God, or the African to the African God, or the Australian to the Australian God. We are trying to worship and connect others to the one true God who is a global God among all gods. And our God is a global God, and as His people, we are a global people. I want you to see this in the text. Look at verse 2. The psalmist makes clear that he wants God's saving power to be known among all nations. Not just the nation Israel, or in our context, the nation of America, or if you come from a different homeland, the just the God of your homeland, but the Bible tells us that this God, Jehovah God, Yahweh God, is the God of all nations. And this is a life-altering truth for us in this room this morning, because I want you to think about this. There are nations on earth that are closed off to the gospel. Perhaps they're totalitarian regimes, Maybe they're communist governments, and they have closed off their people to missionary import from other places to hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Even voices in, among the West, there, there is an isolationist tinge. There's an isolationist movement that's even spreading among the West in ways in which we haven't seen in the last 80 years since World War II. Governments can choose to be isolationists in their economic interests if that's what they choose to do. Communist regimes may stamp out missionaries from coming inside. But brothers and sisters, here's the reality. Governments and people must not influence our viewpoint of the mission of God. Our God is a global God. And we, as His people, are a global people And so societies can choose to do what they want to do, but God's people must not, cannot close ourselves off to the rest of the world or somehow distort our God in being a God of our own making and our nationalistic fervor. You see God's heart for the nations, literally from Genesis to Revelation. And if we had time this morning, I would walk you through scores of passages from Genesis all the way to Revelation that communicate God's heart for the nations. But I'm going to do it very quickly. I'm just going to simply show you from the beginning to the middle to the end, God's heart from the nations. At the very beginning in Genesis, in Genesis 12, when God calls Abram, this is what God tells him in verse 1. He says, go from your country. There's that word go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that what? You will be a blessing. More on this in just a moment. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. Here it is. And in you, Abram, all 
the families of the earth shall be blessed. The psalmist said all nations. God in Abraham's calling, he says all families on earth shall be blessed. You go on to the New Testament with a continuation of the same theme with Jesus himself. Does Jesus pick up the same theme that we see in the Old Testament? Absolutely, because in what we know to be the Great Commission in Matthew 28... Verses 19 through 20, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of how many nations? All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That word, all nations. Panta, ta, ethne. Literally every ethnic group. There are roughly 198 geopolitical countries in the world today. It's not exactly what the text is telling us. Speaking of ethnicities, people groups, and depending on which estimate you look at, there are somewhere between 16 and 17,000 different ethnicities on planet Earth today, and God's heartbeat is for all of them to have a gospel witness among their tribe. You go to the very end of the Bible, and here's where I want you to see the book ends. We start in Genesis You go all the way through the Old Testament, you hear God's heartbeat for the nations. You get to the New Testament, Jesus reiterates it and gives us the Great Commission and says, all nations. And then you see the final culmination in the book of Revelation. Where when everything is said and done on planet Earth, this is where all of the arc of human history and all of the arc of the mission of God is ultimately pointing. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, it says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Brothers and sisters, the scriptures are so clear this morning. Our God is a global God. And if we are his people and we are called to be like our God, we too must be reminded that we are a global people. Second life-altering truth that I want you to see from the text this morning is that the blessings of God to us are for a purposed end. The blessings of God to us are for a purposed end. Now, I realize that those of us in this room are coming from a variety of socioeconomic backgrounds. I recognize that we are at different educational levels. We have different stabilities, levels of stability in our our background and in our homes. However, who among us, if we were standing before God Almighty today, would look God in the eye and say, you have never blessed me? If any of us were just quiet and humble in our hearts for just a moment, we would know how radically blessed we are as people. We have life. We have breath. We have the blessing of of spiritual vitality, relational vitality, material vitality this morning. God has richly blessed us. And there comes a big question here. Why? I mean, why? I mean, I wake up every morning with so many commitments of how I'm going to honor God, 
And after eating breakfast, I've already failed him in a hundred ways. And if you were anything like me, you would share that experience. So the question comes, why does God bless people like you and people like me the way he does? And you might fall back and say, well, because I'm quite blessable. (laughs) My mommy told me so often and still today. And we can convince ourselves that somehow because we are human beings, that God owes his blessings to us. That we've somehow earned this simply as being human beings. But that would be a fool's errand, my friend. The psalmist actually tells us why God blesses us. Look at the text. Verse 1 is a prayer that we often hear at weddings. And this is, if there was ever a prayer... For citizens of the United States of America, it would be verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. This is a good prayer, right? This is a cool prayer. And I want you to know that this is a great prayer for us to pray. Father, bless us. Make your face shine upon us. But there's not a period there. But in our human human heart, we want there to be a period there, don't we? Just bless me to bless me. Just give to me to increase my storehouses and my luxury. But there's a comma. God bless me. God, make your face shine upon me. God, be gracious to me. Why? So that your way may be made known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Brothers and sisters, God constantly, it's like he has attached his conduit of his grace to your life. Just like, just like a plumbing fixture. You are attached to the conduit of God's grace. And he is constantly sending an overflow of his blessings to your life. But he sends his blessings to you so that he might spread his blessings through you all the way to the utter ends of the planet. So God doesn't bless you just to bless you. God blesses you just like Abraham In order to be a blessing, he sins lavishly so that you would spread generously. And this is so crucial for us to understand this morning because of the dire need that stands before us. Of the 16 to 17,000 people groups who live on planet Earth, missiologists today estimate that somewhere between 6 and 7,000 of them are considered unreached which means that they have little or absolutely no access to the gospel in their native tongue or their gospel witness is insufficient for their people group. In those unreached people groups, among those six to 7,000 unreached people groups, there are approximately 5 billion people who live in those people groups. And whether or not we recognize it today, we here in the Western church sit on an overwhelming majority of the world's wealth. So what are we going to do with it? 
What are we going to do with the blessings God has sent to us? The blessings of education. The blessings of the internet. Where we have closer access to understanding the global need in the world. Access to transportation like automobiles and trains and airplanes that can get us from point A to point B in a very short amount of time. Gap year is very increasingly popular in the United States of America among young adults. Why not leverage a gap year for the sake of the glory of God among the nations and not trying to figure your life out while sitting in your parents' basement playing Call of Duty? We have blessings. God is richly given to us. We need to leverage those blessings because the blessings he's given to us are not simply for our benefit so that we would soak them in, but he sends them to us that he may spread them through us. And So our God is a global God, therefore we are also a global people, and his blessings to us are for a purposed end, for it so that his saving power would be made known among the nations. Third truth I want you to see that's life-altering here is missions exist because worship does not. Missions exist because worship does not. This is so important for us this morning. We are about to commission this morning a group of 10 who are going to travel to East Asia this week and are going to be spending time with students and others in East Asia who have no idea what the gospel means. Many of them have never heard it in their lives. Why? Why? Is this give college students something really good to do during their Christmas break so they can serve others instead of themselves? Well, I mean, there's at least a part of it in there. It's not the ultimate end. Are we going to East Asia? Are we sending thousands and tens of thousands of dollars overseas every year because we want to see more people in heaven when they die and less people in torment in hell in eternity? Well, that's a part of it, but that's not the ultimate goal of it. The psalmist knew what the ultimate goal. He knew the ultimate goal of the mission of God. Look, look at what he says. It's worship. Look with me starting in verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 7, let all the ends of the earth fear him. So much of our evangelistic zeal in the American Western church centers around human need and human gifts. Even one of our great motivators in sharing the gospel with our friends and our loved ones is, I don't want them to go to hell when they die. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know clearly this morning that we should have a heart of compassion and a heart of mercy and not a single one of us should want any human being on planet earth to go to hell when they die. But should that be the primary motivator of our evangelism? Should that be the primary motivator of our mission? Is that the primary motivator of our global mission efforts? Absolutely not. 
The psalmist says the primary motivator is the worship of the one true God. Even Jesus himself said in John 17, 3, he defined for us eternal life. He says, and this is eternal life, that you might go to heaven when you die. No, that's not what Jesus said. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus whom he sent. God, forgive us of our man-centered, human-centered view on eternity and mission. Missions exist because worship does not. This statement is not original to me. This is the first sentence in John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. You see, here's our prayer this week. Our prayer is that as these 10 brothers and sisters get on a plane on Thursday morning, Our prayer is that over the next couple of weeks, that through their service, through their relationship building, through their strengthening of the work of the church there, that there would be more worshipers in East Asia, more worshipers of the one true God next month than there are today. And then because of their gospel witness, those East Asian citizens, because of their gospel witness, that there would be more worship on that continent in 10 years than there is this year. The whole goal is that there would be more worship flowing from the hearts of humanity to the throne room of God. Worship is the ultimate goal of the church. It's the chief end for which you and I were created. It's the chief end for which the person in Africa, the person in Asia, the person in Europe, and even the person you live next door to, it's the chief end for which we've all been created. Isn't that good? That's a God-centered motivator for His mission, not ours. So worship exists Sorry, missions exist because worship does not. So when you look at these three life-altering truths, that our God is a global God, we are a global people, and that His blessings to us are for a purposed end, and that missions exist because worship does not, therefore, number four, we are called, we, you, me, we are called to be joyful conduits of God's grace to all peoples. This is tying in to point two. That we are attached. We are attached to the tank of God's blessings. Attached to the grace of God by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we walk through this earth. And as we travel on mission with him. We are to be joyful conduits of his grace. For all. For all. For every people on earth. Again in verse 7. Verse 7 says, God shall bless us. Can I get a witness in the house this morning? 
God shall bless us. No period. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Do you see what he's doing here? He is so tying the life of the people of God to the worship of those who have yet to believe. Do you see the connection there? He's tying your life as a believer, your life as a Christ follower, your gifts, your education, your bank account. He's attaching all of that to the ability of those who do not know him to know him, those who do not worship him to worship him. And so for those skeptics and those cynics in William Carey's day who told him to sit down and shut up, and if God wants to win the non-believer, he'll do it on his own, those brothers and sisters had a really misguided viewpoint of the scriptures and the mission of God. I wholeheartedly this morning believe that, so- that God is 100% sovereign in salvation. But I believe wholeheartedly that he works that out in a consistent way where he has made his people plan A for getting the job done. And there is no plan B. And so this morning, I want to just knock a common Western myth out of the ballpark, all right? You are called. If you're a Christian in the room this morning, you're a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to follow what the psalmist says, let all the redeemed of the Lord say so. So say amen, if that's you. There are only a handful of you. Where are the followers of Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ in the room this morning? Okay, here's here's the reality of your life. You're called. I think one of the greatest lies that Satan tells Christians in America is that I'm not called, so I can't go. I'm not called, so I can't go. That, that's for super Christians. That's not for me. And we have convinced ourselves that this is something only for the elite Delta Force of Christians. It's the varsity team, and we're the junior varsity, and somebody else can get the job done. Here's the reality. If you are a Christian, you are called. The Great Commission was not given to an elite few. The Great Commission was given to every single one of us. So here's the reality. Everyone's going out of this place this morning if you're a follower of Jesus, a missionary. You always have been, just now maybe you know about it. So since that's the reality, what I want to help you do here in these closing moments of our time together is I want to help you understand how to put that into practice. Because I really believe that a lot of times we, we convince ourselves that we're not called because we don't even know what to do if we were called. And I wonder what it would be like if this congregation of believers if every one of us who names the name of Jesus would see ourselves as missionaries, would embrace that calling, and would be fulfilling and growing this discipline of mission, what would that translate as locally? And what would it translate as globally? So I'm going to give you four specific ways every person in this room can do to grow the discipline of missions. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I totally believe 
that you will do some of these more than others. Okay? God gifts us in different ways. Let's look at some that every one of us can grow in regardless of our station in life and regardless of our ability in life. Here's number one. You can prepare. Prepare. And here's what I mean by preparing. Every one of us in this room can educate ourselves on the global need around the world. Every one of us can access resources to understand what's going on in Asia. Understand what the church is like in Africa. To understand what missionary needs are existing in the Middle East or in Europe. There are innumerable resources at our disposal today that William Carey would have longed for hundreds of years ago. For example, there are great websites like the Joshua Project. Joshuaproject.net is one of the, the definitive resources online with every people group around the world. Actual prayer requests for those people groups. You can read. You can study. You can even make it a part of your quiet time where a few days a week you're looking at a specific people group. And you're becoming educated about what's going on in that pocket of the world. Bring your children along in the process. Help them understand that they are a global people. And that our faith is a part of something so much bigger than America or Massachusetts or even here at Mill City Church in Lowell. Educate yourself. Prepare. The JoshuaProject.net. David Platt's ministry, Radical.net, another great resource to understand what's going on around the globe among unreached people groups. There's another ministry called Operation World. They have a website. They also have a resource. I think you'll see that resource back on our resource shelf. It's a really big, thick book. And if you're not the internet type person, if you'd rather have a hard copy of something in your hands... Operation World publishes every decade or so the definitive guide to global need around the world. And you can open it up just like a Bible and you can read and inform yourself and prepare in your heart a heart that is bent more towards the needs in the world. And brothers and sisters, every one of us in this room can be a part of that in growing a discipline. We can grow a discipline in preparing ourselves in God's mission. Number two, we pray. We pray. And I'm just going to say something as benevolently as I can. We've got to stop saying things like, well, I'll just pray then. Do we recognize what we're saying in that? What good would this team do over the next two weeks if a body of saints were not undergirding them in prayer while they're gone? This is God's lifeline for his mission and so don't buy the lie that says it's just prayer. You look throughout human history, you look out through the Missio Dei, the mission of God, there has been no movement of God among the globe without the prayers of his people. It's the way in which he's wired it. And so as you're researching and preparing on these websites and these resources, you're going to hear specific prayer requests. Pray for the Uyghurs in Western China. Pray for, that, pray for that people group by name 
because you read about them in Operation World and you bring their name and their request before the living God. Every believer in this room can do that. And every believer in this room should be doing that. So we can prepare, we can pray. Number three, we can provide. We can provide. I firmly believe that God funds his mission not by tax dollars, not by fundraisers primarily, but by the sacrificial regular giving of his saints. Regardless if you have little, regardless if you have a lot, brothers and sisters, we provide for the mission of God. I want to encourage you. If you have written checks over the last 60 days or so towards one of these that we're sending out today, and I don't know everything that people have given. I've seen some of the checks, but not most of them. There are some checks that are $10. There are other checks that are $400, $500. And everything in between. I want to encourage you today. You're a part of something so much bigger than yourself. And you're part of something so much bigger than any one of these members who are going on this team. Here's the way I like to think about it. You are partnering with God for the sake of God's mission. You're in partnership with God. So don't write that check begrudgingly. Don't write it regretfully. Write it joyfully because you're participating in the mission of God so that those who've never heard might join in the worship of the Almighty God. Have a higher view of your giving. So you can prepare, you can pray, you can provide. Here's the reality before I go to the last one. Almost all of us in this room can be a part of those three. Now let's go to number four. For some of us in the room, we'll participate will participate. That means that we will actually get up. We will get the monies together. We will be trained. We will get on a plane. And we will go to the other ends of the planet. And we will support missionaries. We will help plant churches. And we will make the name of Jesus known among people who do not know. And the reason I'm saying some of us is because there are life circumstances. There, there could be children involved at this season and it's just not practical for you and your fam your young family some of us may there may be health issues that would preclude us from being involved in god's mission in that particular way and the reality is it's not that everybody is not called to go it's just sometimes everyone is not in a season where it's practical to go but what I want you to see today is that regardless of whether we physically get up and go cross-culturally, each of us can be, should be, growing a discipline in God's mission. There are some of you who are going to be leaving this Thursday. And you're going to be going for two weeks on a trip that I have done 12 different times over the last 13 years. And I want you to know that God is going to do something very special in your heart and he's going to do something really neat in your life. But he's also going to do something pretty radical among people whom you've never met before. And we're excited about that. 
There are others of you. There are going to be other trips that are going to be coming up in 2020. And perhaps you're even processing that now. Maybe this next year will be the year that you take a step forward and say, I'm going to participate. There could be some of you students in the room who you're looking towards next summer and you've heard the testimony of some of your brothers and sisters who've partnered with our North American Mission Board or International Mission Board and spending their summers for the sake of the gospel around the globe. Perhaps God is nudging you in that direction today. We would love to walk alongside of you in that. There are some of you in this room God is urging even at this moment to be a participant in his global mission. But regardless of what he's doing in our hearts, I want to come back to where I started in this last section. If you're a Christian, you're called. We're called in different ways, but we're called to be a part of God's mission. And so will you prepare yourself today? Will you begin praying today for the nations? Will you continually provide Perhaps God is calling you today to say, you know what? The Lord's blessed us really great. In 2019, we're going to increase our giving. We're going to increase our giving to our local church so that the mission of God is expanded locally and globally. And God may be nudging you to participate. But regardless, we can all grow a spiritual discipline of mission. Father, today, I pray like the psalmist, let the nations be glad. Let the nations sing for joy. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Lord, connect our heart today to your mission. We've seen from your text today that you have a passion to see the nations worship you. And that you have a passion for all peoples on earth. So Lord, would you grow in us a heart that beats for the same thing that your heart beats for. And we pray all of this in the matchless name of the one for whom it's all about. Jesus Christ. Amen.